0: Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Uses directed. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mishaz, and boy, do we have a special guest. My main man, David Siegel, is in the house. What's up, David?
1: It is good to be a main man. I'm liking that. Oh, good
0: to be here. I'm, lo- I'm loving it. It's happy Friday, my friend. Oh, yeah. Every Friday is a happy day because get the weekend yes, out Yes, it here. is. Um, so, look, for listeners who are new to the show, the, the Greatness Machine, we're about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And my man, David, is neither short of passion or greatness, and I'm so excited for us to be getting into it. Uh, for those of you that are new to Mr. David Siegel, David's kind of a big deal. So we got a big deal on the show today. We've had a big deal, a couple of big deals this week, but David is the CEO of meetup.com and he oversees the global business. They have they have 52 million members. Many of you have probably partaken in the meetup experience. They host 15,000 events daily and they have events in 193 countries. Uh, he hosts Keep Connected. It's a podcast devoted to power of community. And he's a business leader and expert in building personal and professional communities. Man, we were talking earlier, like just before we got started, he's like, I'm on five boards. I got my book. We'll be talking about the book in just a second here. He teaches at Columbia. You teach entrepreneurial, organizational, strategic management. And we're going to be talking about the book, the new book that's coming out March 8th. Is that correct? You got it. We're talking about Decide and Conquer, 44 Decisions That Will Make or Break All Leaders. Coming out March 8th in all major establishments. I'm so excited for the show, my brother. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So gosh, so look, in the greatness machine, a lot of times, you know, I'm going to say this. So David, I'm going to stroke your ego right now. As long
1: as I, my wife does not hear, because her job is to, straight, to, to take it down. And my kid's job is definitely to take it down.
0: So like it'll counterbalance everyone I'm, I'm in my gonna family. Ba- I'm going to push it up and she's going to bash it down. She's going to pop the bubble. So for those of you guys that do listen to the show, I have always have an origin story on how I know my guests. But in this case, and, and this is why it's rare, and this is why I'm instructor you ego here, is I got cold hit up by, I guess, your PR agency that asked if you could be on the show. I don't know. I get about 20 of those a week, and you are actually the first person I've ever said yes to. Woo, okay, I'm not going to tell my family that.
1: Yeah. that they, they, Yeah. They, um... That'll mouth everything that they ever thought and, of. And, me.
0: And, and this is what did it. The meetup.com thing was cool, but I love Seeking Alpha. And you were the president of Seeking Alpha at one point in your career. And I was like, oh, I got to meet this guy. This, this looks really interesting. Yeah, so I've
1: been very fortunate to work for a lot of interesting companies. And I'm obsessed with community and the, and the impact of community. So I'm sure we'll be getting to that later.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, you're like, one, this is like a one in like a thousand. And so, you know, it's funny when you have a podcast. I started this podcast, you know, I started this as a live stream almost two years ago. And then I turned it into a long-form podcast because I realized people don't like to watch live streams for more than 10 minutes, and I like to talk for about an hour. And <laughs> so the, the vessel did not work for the ship. And so I'm, I converted about a year ago, but we've done a ton of shows, and people are always asking to come on, and, and it's like, yeah, you know, man, I don't want to hear about your like sales of your real estate business. It's not that interesting for me, and for the get for the um, you know are our, 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 not our guests, but our, our listeners, you know, I want to add maximum value, and you know, like you have a great background and a great history, you know, I, when I go when I went through your LinkedIn profile. Obviously, you've done a ton of cool things. You're teaching at Columbia. You wrote the book. You're at meetup.com now. But I'd love, you know, I always like to start the show by going back to people's origin stories. I find that for me, at least, you know, my Gallup strengths, my number four strengths, learner. I'm a lifelong learner. My number five core value is curiosity. I'm a super curious person. And so for me, it's just always like, hey, how did you get to where you got to? Like, like, like you didn't wake up one day and say, yeah, I'm going to be CEO of, of meetup.com. You know, that that was a 20, probably five plus year process. But yeah, take us back. Like, you know, you've obviously had some massive accomplishments in the business world. I'm just skimming the surface here. But, you know, how did you get into where you're at today? I'd love to hear the origin story a little bit. Okay, so I'm not going to talk all about the sales of my real estate business then. I will kick <laughs> that out, even
1: though that's all about my origin story. I'll just... Go with something else then. That's what we'll do. Okay. Nice. So Meetup is all about building community with the world's largest platform for building community. On a personal level, my origin story is when I was a kid, and I still am, I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish household, going to synagogue oftentimes. What that meant for, for me and my family was that on Friday nights, we'd have 10, 20 people from our community, our neighbors over. On Saturday, we had the same thing. We would... together as a community all the time and I was just so fortunate to have that kind of larger village surrounding me my entire life as long as I can remember and um, I built like this obsession and passion for community and why meetup became so interesting to me was because of that so we could talk later on about kind of the impact of community especially around its impact on the loneliness epidemic that exists out there but the other part of my origin story that I would probably point out is that my first job, Darius, which most people don't know, is, was in human resources. I was an HR manager, HR partner. Uh-huh. And most people do not go from like HR managers to necessary CEOs. But possibly it's great training, and the reason for that is in, in HR you're focused on recruiting top talent, you're focused on managing people, you're focusing on motivating people, you focus on building organizational structure, figuring out company culture. Well, the things that like a CEO focuses on typically is that exactly all three. Exactly. You want
0: you want to hear what I tell people? I say there's three things that your job is if you're going to be a CEO, and I've been a CEO my entire career. I said, you own three things, and and, and if, if you get these three things right, you're the best, and when these three things are broken, it's your fault. You own the strategy, you own the culture, you own who's sitting on the bench, the people. That's it, and, and, and any problem that comes out of those three, it's your fault, and anything that's good, good job. And by the way, if you try to get over-involved in
1: anything besides those three, you're probably not doing a good job because that's why you hire your team to be in charge of. Totally. And, and it's all about what Jim Collins said, first who, then what figure out the right people, and then kind of get out of their way and help support and enable their success. So I started off in HR. And then as an HR person, I was actually a double click, which was a well known early 1990s bubble. When I joined the stock was at 36 months later, it went up to 300. We're talking about the stock, you know, 1999 internet bubble days. And then it went back down within six months, back down to like, you know, 15. So that was a kind of a crazy time period. But One of my big awareness moments at DoubleClick was that I was the HR support person for the CEO and the general manager of the largest business. And what I found was that I was always advising on how do you motivate better? How do you build culture better? How do you hire better people? But ultimately, the final decision-maker for all that was not me. I was a facilitation role. And I said, I don't want to just be in that facilitation role. I want to be the person that's actually making that decision All and right. owning that responsibility and account- and accountable you know, for the results. And that's when I decided to go to business school and start a career more focused in, in business and business development and general management and marketing and the things that I did. So I went to Warden for a business school. And then just as a matter of coincidence, 20 years later, the CEO of DoubleClick, I kid you not, Darius became my advisor and my mentor for 20 years and is the person who ended up acquiring Meetup out of WeWork about two years ago.
0: Wow. Yeah, so I didn't realize that. Everything so, goes full circle. Yeah. So so when you were at DoubleClick, you essentially reported to the person reported to that CEO. Is that correct? That's exactly right. I reported to a
1: guy named David Rosenblatt who actually then became the CEO of DoubleClick and the CEO of DoubleClick at the time is Kevin Ryan. Kevin Ryan then went on to found MongoDB, the wow. Guilt Group, Zola, and Business Insider and started a VC firm called Alley Corp. Then I kept in touch with him throughout 20 years. And then when WeWork was looking to divest Meetup and Adam Newman was looking to move on because it was kind of blowing up, right? Uh, I called Kevin and he's like, You know what? I don't have an ability to do any due diligence. I know you're about to get sold. Let me just fund the acquisition because I trust you and let's make it happen. So oh, wow. you
0: know yeah. that things always work in full circles. I totally forgot that we work bot meetup.com. That yeah. I mean, which may, which from a strategic standpoint makes tons of sense. But I totally forgot that. So when you were working, so so you've been at meetup now, what, for five years, six years? Nope. I've been at meetup for close to four years. Sorry, four years, 2018. Yeah. So I was thinking of you, your professorship. So so you've been it there for four years. We work was blowing up what, like three years ago is
1: exactly three years ago. So the first six to 12 months were like exciting. It's like, oh my God, our valuation is $47 billion. Crazy he gets to spend time with Adam Newman and go on plane rides with him and you know, learn about you know the rise and of this amazing kind of quote unquote tech company. Uh, and then we suddenly started seeing 47 billion valuation, 40 billion valuation, 30, 20, 10, uh-oh. And then kind of uh, watching WeWork melt down and then telling us that they were decided to that, that Meetup was going to be up for sale. And I was originally hired as the first CEO of Meetup after the founders. The founder had been running the company for 16 years. Right. We're about to hit our 20th anniversary in, uh, in a few months. And uh, and that's that's also never easy to take over a company from a 16-year founder. So...
0: Yeah, <laughs> so what? So, so yeah. you you took over in in eighteen from a sixteen year founder. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a massive, massive like, maybe not value shift, but cultural shift because it's a different leader, right? So, if you own the culture, you own the strategy, you own the people, and the previous person was there, built the strategy, built the culture, and built the people. How was that handoff for you? Was that handoff like? A, a, was it a smooth transition or was it kind of a rough rough road? It's always a rough road. It was. Smoother than
1: it certainly could have been, which could have been terrible. But I think when you're talking about a situation where I'm taking over for the founder where Meetup was his baby and he built every element of it, the executive team that he surrounded himself with, as most founders do, is they surround themselves with people who have complementary skills to the founder. So the founder is, let's say, disorganized or is much more of a vision person then he's gonna, he or she will surround themselves with people who are more operational oriented. But when a new CEO comes in, the, the entire puzzle gets all messed up because the comp, I was I'm very different than Scott Heiferman, the founder. He's great in certain things, much better than I am, and, and I'm stronger in other areas. So the, the complementary nature between the executive team that he had supporting him is very different than mine. So again, on the first who-then-what concept that we talked about earlier, and people within Six months. Well, I had about 10 or 12 direct reports. In six months, only one was the same direct report. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you want I have a name for a name for that. You want to hear what it's called? Well, let's hear it. I call it the Red Wedding. Have Explain. You watched, have you ever watched the Game of Thrones?
1: You know, I got to start watching it, but Oh. I mean, know I suck. I so, know.
0: No, so there's so there's this. No, you don't suck. If you had seen Game of Thrones, what I just said, you would have laughed really hard. Okay. So there's a scene, I think it's end of season two. Where there's a family, the family from the north is like marrying another family and they have this cl- behind closed door like wedding and they're like celebrating after the wedding. And so, it's the end, it's the last season. It's this last episode of season two. Mm-hmm. And they like close the doors and all of a sudden they basically murder the entire family.
1: Yeah, that like, was basically us and the
0: executive team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're like, when you were getting started, I'm like, I bet you he read wedding everybody. <laughs> like, and, and, and it's nothing against them. No, I, I've, no I've, they're great people they're they're wonderful people it's but it's a new new culture and they're used to the way it was always done and so i've always said with mergers and i've done a couple of mergers in my life and i learned the first time i go in there and play nice and try to keep everybody and was working like triple time to like to get them to like acquiesce to the change it was like painful and so i went to my business partner and the second time around i said it's, I'm never doing that again. It's red wedding. Yeah. Just go in there, give them one chance. If they don't want to acquiesce, they you you give them their pink slip, pay them severance, and tell them it's done.
1: Yeah, and really, we made decisions and changes extraordinarily, and the result of that, of course, is the domino impact. Then, when every person loses their manager's manager, you know, there's chaos, right? Totally. So. Is that clean? No, but have we done clean? It would have taken like two or three times longer to make you know change management happen. And the best thing to do in change management, you just gotta pull that, you know, bandaid off as fast and potentially as painful as possible to start the healing and start start everything up quickly, or else you're as you said, rather than focusing on your customers, rather than focusing on your product, you're spending all of your time freaking focusing on like internal, obvious things that should take a five second conversation instead of takes five weeks to like draw consensus and you know, you get it.
0: Red, red wedding, baby. This episode is brought to you by Shopify in the world of successful partnerships. Names like Procter and Gamble, Ben and Jerry and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic your AI powered all-star picture this a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U S and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothies Rothy's and Brooklyn and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com Darius. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. So, so yeah, so, so, so you went in there and you, you had to do the proverbial red wedding and then now... You're in the big time, baby. You're hanging out with the head of WeWork, flying in PJs, doing all the cool stuff, all the stuff that he's now infamous for. What was your experience? Like, what was your first impression of that entire scene? Of I mean, of that? I mean, I guess when things when you first got there, obviously it was awesome. Yeah. The big valuation behind it. Yeah. And I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this now, but but were you like, This is this guy's nuts, or like this is like total like smoke and mirrors? Like, what did you start? Did you think think anything like that? Oh, I mean, I knew
1: that he and the business was just total nuts from the start. And I also know that when you're interviewing, people like to hire people similar to themselves. Right. So the more nuts that I could be like during the interview process with Adam and with other executives, the higher likelihood they would end up hiring. So, you know, during an interview, for example, I walked into, we worked for my second meeting with Adam Newman and I was wearing like a white button down shirt and jeans and I was like, wait, no one around here is working white button down shirts. And everyone's wearing a t shirt. And I saw in the corner of my eye some guy wearing a t shirt that said Meetup plus WeWork. I saw that. I'm like, okay, I gotta get that t shirt. So I walked over to him and I said, I'll trade you my $100 Brooks Brothers shirt. We're about the same size for your raggedy old Meetup, WeWork t shirt. Let's go into the closet, take off your shirt. I'll take off my shirt. Let's change shirts. Let's go in there. And then when I had my interview, I'm wearing the Meetup Plus WeWork t-shirt you know, that they'd given out when we work at Acquired Meetup. And Adam's like, how the hell did you, you know, get that t-shirt? Like, you're interviewing for this job. And I said, oh, I just got the shirt off of someone's back. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, dude, if you can sell getting the shirt off of someone's back, you can freaking sell anything. So I just kind of acted you know, somewhat fun and crazy. And, uh, you know, tw- I 20- after 27 interviews at Meetup and WeWork, because I had to have consensus about like every single Meetup executive, of course, meeting me every single WeWork executive meeting me multiple times, 27 interviews over four months, I ended up getting the job. So I knew things were
0: total whack. And yeah, 20, tw- like from an age, like especially <laughs> oh you, you, you come from like a Deloitte background, right? Yeah. I worked at Deloitte. I worked at other consulting firms. Yeah. And, and so, like, t- I mean, were you like 27, like guys, make a fucking decision? And they weren't done.
1: After 27, I, after meeting our founder, Scott Heiferman, three different times, and I get it, this is his baby, and spending a full day with him going on from one meetup event to another meetup event. Scott calls me up and he said, We, we love you. We really like you. Now, in reality, we were already made up their mind. They were going to hire me. Well, WeWork didn't want to tell the meetup founder that they already made up their mind. So they needed him to make up his mind and the, ex- and the executive to make up their mind and that they all, you know, that they all wanted me without before having it be forced. So I said, okay, Scott, he said, David, uh, we're going to have a dinner. We're going to sit down to dinner for a few hours with the entire executive team. And even though you met all, everyone, we just want to see how you interact in a group dynamic situation. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm done. I've had 27 interviews. I'm not prepared for three-hour grilling. You know, it's just not going to work. So I called up the WeWork kind of recruiting person who was like the third different recruiting person I already had worked with because you know it's WeWork, and, and I'm like, I'm done. Either you give me an offer letter, you don't give me an offer letter. This is it. And they're like, okay, here's your offer letter. So at a certain point, you just had to be like, put up or shut up, and uh, and that was it. But it would have really lasted forever.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're like you're, none of you are going to be here in six months.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't
0: say that
1: when I was meeting with the guys. That probably wouldn't have been like you know the right
0: way to win friends and influence people. Guys, guys, what are we, what are we, what are we negotiating here? You're not even going to be here. Uh, no, I know. You're, you, uh, hey, listen, you never go in with that mindset, but the odds are it's going to happen. So, right. right. So, so then you get in, and and it's obviously a shit show, you know. And Adam, how much longer did he last? I mean, he was gone like probably what, before the pandemic, I think, right? No, right,
1: right before the pandemic. he was. He, we overlapped for a good a good year, year and a half. I mean, I did a couple of things. So one thing is I I was reporting into the president of WeWork, a guy named Artie Minson, who is kind of the Adam opposite, just super high integrity, actually very short compared to Adam's tall, just amazing, amazing, amazing person. And I said to um, Artie, I said, here's a role when I joined. I don't want Adam to call me for the first four or five months. I don't want to speak to him. I need to have focus on meetup. I don't want to get distractions. I just need to have full focus. And I kid you not. And Adam's a tough person to, you know, keep on a leash, shall we say. But Adam at one point called me up because he wanted my advice on on a, a person that I used to work with. He said, David, I'm calling you. I know I'm not allowed to call you or speak to you, but I just have a quick question. And I'm like, wow. You actually like really listen, this is great. And then once that time was up, then then you know everything went crazy. But it was, it was a big challenge. And the reason for the challenge was because WeWork had acquired Meetup with a very specific rationale. The rationale was actually on paper, a great idea, but an implementation totally didn't work. So let me explain. And it's so typical of M&A, right? Sounds great, doesn't actually work. Right. The synergies are like, you know, not real. So the original idea, the premise, was that Meetup is the world's best platform at helping to build community. And Meetup is the world's best platform for to build community. And WeWork wanted to really stand out among its co-working spaces as like having the best community, the highest energy, the highest like events kind of going on in different people's offices. And they, they acquired us to create tons of Meetup events and to activate WeWork offices so that everyone wanna work in a WeWork because we had all these amazing meetup events that were going on at the same time. Got it. I mean, that sounds totally rational and makes like a ton of sense. However, when you take into account fact like that a good 20% of events or 30% of events are outdoors, that's not gonna happen in WeWork. Nope. Second, is many of our events are have 20, 30, 40 people in them, and WeWork only had spaces for like smaller conference rooms, so we couldn't really usually accommodate that. Next, most of our meetup events happened during the weekends when no one was at WeWork locations. Or any of the events not on the weekends happened in the evenings when you know when <laughs> people also weren't at WeWork events. There was only set numbers of locations of WeWork, even though they're semi-ubiquitous. They're really not the most convenient places when you already have other places. It ended up that roughly 2%. 2% of meetup events would be we, we relevant for them to be happen at WeWork locations. And of that 2%, some are like the WeWork knitting group, the ADHD yes. parent support group. I mean, like those are great things, but they're not. And we have lots of tech events and book club events, but they're not like mass audience, you know, type of things that everyone's interested in. So there was this premise in the beginning. And then what happened is because WeWork spent 160 or so million dollars to acquire it, at the, the focus was how can Meetup serve WeWork? How can Meetup help WeWork? And then I came in and I said, hey, we need to put our oxygen masks on. Like the plane's going down. We need to take care of ourselves first because if our entire reason for existence is leached onto WeWork, if WeWork falls, because we knew it would, then Meetup is going to fall big time with it. Yeah. So we had to change a lot of things to make us kind of successful outside of just serving our master.
0: Yeah, well, hold on. So they paid 160 million for for meet meetup. Yes. I was gonna say, I'm like, ah, that's not that much money considering how much they blew. They, they I'm like, that's like a weekend getaway for that guy.
1: Oh yeah, that's nothing. That's, not, that's a That's the summer <laughs> retreat.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, that that's like uh, that's probably like how much he spent on his wedding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but no, I mean, look, that's real, money, real uh, money. Like all jokes aside, and so when you put the oxygen mask on, then right away you kind of got punched in the gut with COVID. Yes. Like? COVID, I mean, who could have predicted that? You, so you became CEO in what, what time in, in when in 18 was that?
1: Uh, it was late. It was October of 2018. And then COVID hit, of course, in March of 20. So 20 about, about a year, year and a half prior to COVID.
0: Yeah. So so you're just kind of getting your bearings. And then and when did they spin you guys out of WeWork? <laughs> in March of 2020. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they the the right. So that
1: month, what happened was, it was a long process to kind of sell the company with lots of fits and starts of people wanting to acquire Meetup and then basically destroy the company. And then after all these companies started pulling out because they started hearing about this mysterious disease in China that could end up coming here, and, and the bids started going down, 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 down. That's when I pulled Kevin Ryan in and I said, okay, I think we could acqu- get Meetup acquired for an exceptional price. And, and by exceptional, I mean a, small, a very small percentage relative to how much we were paid. And at the time, Meetup was losing because of all the excesses that we work at Facility. In fact, when I joined, one of the KPIs, the Key Performance Indicators, was how many people you could hire in your company, how fast you could hire people. Yes, seriously. That was one of like the key things was number
0: of people hired. <laughs> <laughs> Who does note, note to sell is that a leading or lagging indicator <laughs> yeah, it's a leading indicator towards like future disaster I, think. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say i'm like a lagging indicator to like going out of business uh... right so, so it was kind of
1: ridiculous th- those things so anyway so it's march and every the world's falling apart you can't meet up in person anymore we still our events go down in china by 95 percent in Italy, then after that, by like ninety percent. Wow! One person in our office was the, one of the first people in all of New York to get COVID, so we had to shut our entire office down. So someone's publishing an article, meet up, which is it WeWork's office can't meet up anymore, shuts down the entire WeWork buildings. That was that was fun, and um, and then we sold the company, and we went from an eighteen million loss in two thousand nineteen to three million dollars of profit in two thousand
0: twenty. Nice. Yeah. That's so huge. A nice turnaround. Yeah. So in your first 18 months as CEO, you dealt with the blow up of WeWork, a selling of the company, and COVID all in the same time. Man, you got it. You, you, <laughs> I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, better to be lucky than good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just
1: wolfing down some some food right before this, this podcast. And as I'm like shoving like like some bread with some mozzarella cheese in my mouth. I say to my wife, people think you know the life of a CEO is all glamorous. They don't know what the heck my life no. looks like. It's so not
0: glamorous. It's not even funny. No, on, on paper, it looks cool. But in real life, it's a lot of work. So fast forward, you guys, You know, what, what do you think? What was probably a combination of what? Cutting expenses? Did you guys move a bunch of events online and take? Exactly. So we went from
1: not for, in our first 18 years at the time, not allowing online events, because we were all about IRL or we all about in-person, and that was the focus, to saying, what is our mission? Is our mission IRL or is our mission helping people to be connected? Is our mission helping to reduce loneliness in the world? Is that our mission? And clearly that's our mission. In the last two years of the pandemic, we've had over 5 million um, online events through Zoom. Wow. We've had over 30 million people. And like you said, 190 plus countries um, participate in um, online meetup events. And now we're a combination. We're currently 68% as of this week in person and 32% online. And it's totally varying depending on the country. So in like you know, Brazil or some other countries where COVID is still very high, we might be only 20% in person. In Australia, we're like 90% in person, for example.
0: Wow. And so you guys, I was going to ask you a question, going back to COVID, did you feel like you guys were able to see in real time before the news hit? Like, were you like actually like a step ahead of, of the like CDC in the news on like what was going down? Oh my God. We have these data maps that are so
1: freaking cool by country and by state of what percentage of events are in person versus versus online and how that's changing over time. And we actually see this information because it impacts everything, and people's sentiments and people's actions. So there's some really interesting data of what's happening. Right now, you know, not surprisingly, Western Europe is, is really moving a lot more in person than, than for a long time. And there's some countries like Argentina, for example. And there's some states that are um, not moving to in-person like Vermont as, as much as they did because I think there's more of a uh, – there's the blue-red – there's an enormous blue-red divide. In terms of in person versus online, actually, but Florida and Texas—they've
0: been in person for a while. <laughs> it's like what COVID? Exactly. <laughs> Quit exactly. being a pansy and take your mask off. We're in Texas. <laughs> exactly. I, I was. I was. A, you
1: know. Although Austin is a blueberry and a big, a big tomato soup, so you know.
0: Yeah, it is. is, But you do have, it's interesting. It's, I mean, I don't even, I think it's more purple than blue. It's, it's, it's like independent more than anything here. It's Um, a lot of just, it's not even either. It's not, you know, like Austin's kind of its own thing. Cause I lived in San Francisco for 17 years before I moved here. Yeah. That's deep, 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 deep. Which is like, yeah, that's like indigo blue. (laughs) And I'm, I'm hosting an event. So I live in Austin. I'm hosting an event. I'm a chairperson of this event at MIT called Gathering of Titans. And I'm trying to organize the event. And, I'm, and that's a very, very blue state, right? Especially Boston, right? This is outside Boston. And and it's like, I, I'm like, it's like night and day compared to Texas. So we live in, you know, Newsflash, we live in a country with like totally divided beliefs. Wow. Right? It's, it's painful. <laughs> so right now you guys are on this new kick where you guys are, you know, doing a combination of in real life and as well as virtual, which is cool. Because I think that, the kind of different strokes for different folks, right? Mm-hmm. One of my questions for you, and this is—I'm going to go. I'm coming way out of left field. I don't know if you. I wonder if you've been asked this question before. So, b- before you answer the question, tell me if you've been asked it before. Okay. So, and we're we're like both Gen Xers, so we're like mm-hmm. we we have one foot in the in the analog world and one foot in the digital world, right? Like we're, we're, we're one of the, if you ask my kids, I'm all in the analog world, but yes, I, I- <laughs> they don't know any, they don't know any different. Exactly. God bless them. Um, no, we're, we're the ultimate generation. Cause we have yeah. both, right. Yeah. We speak both languages. So metaverse is here and I hang out with some millennials and Gen Xers and, you know, it's painful at times, but you know, I mean, I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk last night. I was talking about that thirty years from now. He's like, I was. I remember when we went back in high school when there was beepers, right? And, and he's like, and it, the only people who had beepers were drug dealers. And now I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. I know. That's, I was like, oh yeah, I knew all the drug course. dealers that had them. Um, but he's like, and now you know, we 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 all have phones and we can't live without them, which is really just a a, a more developed version of a, of a pager, if you will. Mm-hmm. He's like. And now everyone says, Oh, look at those kids on their pagers, you know, or on, the, on their on their phones, you know, they can't get off the phones. He's like, Look, 30 years from now, people are gonna be sitting in their homes strapping on their VR gear, and just going to hang out in the metaverse. Like, you know, I mean, part of me is like, God, I hope that doesn't happen. And a part of me is like, probably gonna happen. So when you start thinking of meetup and going into the metaverse, I mean, I kind of believe that that's like the, the next step for you guys. What, 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 have you been asked this question before? Number one, and then number two, what are, your, what are your thoughts? So I have not been
1: asked the question before, yes. so you nailed it. That's a, it's a really, really important and great question. Here are my thoughts. My thoughts are that we are people with a DNA that's been built up for however long humans have been around, 10,000 or 100,000 years, however number you want, to, you want to choose. We date back to like Paleolithic and Neolithic evolutionary man, where we were hunters and gatherers. And the only ways in which we were able to survive was that we had to be around other people. We had to have community directly in person. And maybe this is more analog than digital, but I think that it's the human, deep human experience in order to drive happiness and joy in this world to need to interact in person, and as much as the metaverse will and holograms and other things that will be created will will very much enable experiences that are similar to in person. They're not going to be directly the in person experience, and um, and I think that it is going to be a source of frustration for my kids of their kids. Yeah. And, They're like, when my kids are going to be like, can you please put the, you know, the meta goggles in the, uh, uh, not off the table and not hang on all the time, you know? Um,
0: (laughs) Get your meta goggles off at the dinner table.
1: Off at the dinner table already. Come on. (laughs) Um, We're
0: having breakfast in the meta room right now.
1: (laughs) I think it's important for Meetup to embrace meta just like it's important for the meta world, just like it's important for us to embrace online. And we're actually looking at different communities and different platforms that can help to drive that embrace because that is the future, but it's not going to be the sole feature. It's going to be a combination of, of in-person, some kind of maybe online thing. And, and obviously metaverse will be increasingly a big percentage. So like all of our video gaming meetup groups, chances are, we have a lot, they're going to move, much more towards metaverse type experiences so how can we as meetup integrate with those platforms the same ways that we've integrated with zoom you know or others so that's that's upon us to, to do and to figure out you know the right crypto and blockchain type technologies to be able to make web 3 um, you know a reality for meetup
0: yeah very, i love that answer so I'm going to take a hard right turn because we got a book coming out And, um, you know, I I mentioned earlier that I started this as a live stream. It was actually for my book launch. So I would interview a bunch of people and this is one of the reasons I started this. And I was like, oh, I love this. I'm gonna keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm a big fan of people's book launches. Um, Decide and Conquer, the 44 Decisions That Will Make or Break All Leaders coming out March 8th. Tell us about your book.
1: Okay. let's gonna go through each of them, one through 44 right now. Just kidding. Number one. would be really boring. (laughs) But what I'll say is that The reason I wrote a book is because I have been thinking deeply about kind of decision-making best practices for a long time. I've been obsessed with understanding people's biases, whether it's recency bias or status quo bias or sunk cost fallacy. Um, There's all these biases that people have that disenable them to make ultimately smart decisions. Mm -hmm. And we're all making literally like thousands of decisions every day, even deciding not to make a decision or to empower someone else to make a decision. Is actually making a decision. So I've been obsessed with the impact of decision making on like life experiences and business experiences. But I didn't want to write like some boring kind of textbooky business book. I needed some crazy, insane roller coaster experience of life that I could tell like this story and use that story as a way to teach others about how to make smarter decisions. And then WeWork happened. Yeah. So you know the story was so crazy around joining WeWork. Even around some of the experience I had in Investopedia with Barry Diller, and it was part of IAC and other life experiences that I've had. But the story was so, and particularly crazy about with WeWork that I, I literally, you know, vomited out. Maybe that's not what an author should say, but whatever, you know, a, a book yeah. of seventy-five thousand words in just like a couple of months, and then of course spent a lot of time editing and cleaning it up afterwards. But that's what the book is about. The book is taking helping people to make smarter decisions. So an example of something. Is um, when people, people oftentimes say to me things like, David, I'm Darius, I'm sure you've heard of this as well. You're so lucky. Like, how'd you get so lucky? It seems like, like lucky things just keep happening to you. Suddenly, you know, you're on the greatness machine, that's lucky, and all these lucky things that happen. How does that happen? So, the answer is you could actually, with smart decision making, create lucky things to happen to you. If you think about when you make a decision, whether or not you're opening up lots of different options, and lots of different opportunities for things to happen, or does this this decision close out different opportunities and disenable great things to potentially happen? And that's kind of like a value in decision-making of how do I build optionality into my decisions so that lucky things can end up actually happening to me? That's kind of one example.
0: So, So would that be like when you're making a decision – So let's use an example. Let's say somebody had two job opportunities.
1: Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. So So let me give that. Let's say someone's a finance major and they're super into finance. They could either decide to become an investment banker, right? Or they could decide to become a trader. Both of them, they can make a shit ton of money. If they decide to become a trader then the number of options that they have available to themselves is actually pretty low. They're going to become a commodities trader. And the next job, they could become another commodities trader or a macro trader. Very few options. If they decide, from, and, because they're great in finance, they want to become an investment banker, oh, my God. Now, they could work in M&A. They could work in, as an analyst. They could work in a larger company. They could do a hundred different things. Everyone wants to hire a former banker. To their company. So becoming an investment banker creates a significant number of options for yourself, of which then your background is then very applicable for. Becoming a trader limits the number of options for yourself, and then you don't have that many different other opportunities to then take advantage of. So that, that's a great example, Darius. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, a member FDIC.
0: Yeah, I love that. And so when we, when we start walking through, like, so it sounds like the macro sto- of the story is the story of, of your experience with Meetup and with WeWork. Mm-hmm. And then the 44, is it 44 lessons, uh, I guess, that, that were taught throughout the way? Like, how's the story come about?
1: Yeah. Like one lesson, for example, is before you even start the job, how to set yourself up for success before you even start. So I spent a week just meeting with WeWork and the executive team prior to even walking into the office because I knew I'd be barraged once I walked into the office. How do you spend that first week or time preparing to to enable success before you even start your job? That's like an example of, of one, you know, one lesson. And then there's kind of lessons throughout the book that I faced that many different managers and, and individuals,
0: entrepreneurs, you know, tend to face as well. And so when you start to think of like, when you wrote the book, obviously, it it's funny, you said vomit. So I when I wrote my book, I, I um, my editor Calls the first draft of the book the vomit draft. <laughs> he, he says, poor, "He, he said, and, and this is his quote. His, uh, yeah, he he's he's an interesting guy. Do you know, you know, you remember Tucker Max? You know him? Yeah, yeah, I do actually. Yeah, it's his company. So, oh wow. So Tucker was the was was my he it was actually his company, and and he's a friend of mine. And so Tucker's like, look, no one looks pretty when they vomit. And so you just get it out of you, and just know it's going to be ugly. So the, no, the MVP the, methodology, like." One of my
1: favorite podcasts, um, Mark Zuckerberg is talking about perfect being the, the – the, how it's important to be more imperfect than perfect. If you're not embarrassed by what you first put out there as an MVP – you haven't done, you, you, you waited too long. Yeah. Same the book. You just got to be embarrassed by the vomit. And then hopefully it all works out. And yep. in your case, it did. Hopefully it will mine too.
0: Yeah, no, I'm excited for it. But, but the, what's the quote? It's a uh, perfection is the enemy of progress. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. So, that, so, so when we start thinking of this book and, and who is the ideal audience for it, like, like who do you, who's your avatar? Who, who do you think was like, hey, it's a no brainer for them to buy this book. Cause this is the, the book they got to read.
1: Yeah, anyone who is an aspiring entrepreneur or aspiring kind of business leader, this is the right book for them to help to set them up for success, you know, over the next five, 10 years.
0: Okay. So if you're an entrepreneur, business leader out there, you want to get set up for success. My main man, David here, who's worked his way through the ranks of many a company that you've heard of. is telling you right now, you got to buy his book, the 44 decisions to make or break all leaders. I'm going to, you know, you don't know this about me but i always like to support book launches so i'm going to buy 10 copies of your book
1: dude darius thank you you're the man
0: yeah it's i'll it's get b- you a good i'll get
1: you a good i'll get you a discount you don't have to go on amazon i'll get you a better get you a better price
0: <laughs> all right so, so send me the 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 back backroom bazaar discount <laughs> but guys listen well look we're coming to the end of the show here but this has been so much fun dude seriously i'm really i really love your story i'm so excited for the book you know, I'm going to promote this out to my, to many of my CEO groups. So I'll take those 10 copies and hand that out to some of my buddies, but everyone out there, you guys need to go. I'm looking at it right now. You can get it where we're all book, major books are sold. Is that Yeah. Right?
1: Amazon and Noble bookstores, you name it. We got it.
0: Yeah. So guys uh, book launches are a big deal. The first week of books is what makes the, or breaks the book, at least in the first year. And we got to support our friend, David here. So go out there, buy the book, Go, is there a website or anywhere where people can connect there if is. they want to learn more?
1: Yeah, there is. You can go to decideandconquerbook.com. And uh, there's uh, different people that have provided endorsements on the book. Sarah Fryer, the CEO of Nextdoor, Talbin Shachar, the, the writer of Happier. And you can learn about what, some of the things they said. And you can just go to Amazon and type in Amazon Decide and Conquer and get the book there too. There and there's also an Audible copy. And if you listen to the book and
0: a Kindle copy and all that other fun stuff. Awesome. Well, guys, we'll go ahead and we'll put that in the show notes, but please go support the book. This sounds like a fascinating book. I can't wait to read it. It's going to be on my reading list this year. And I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so grateful to get to meet you, David. And uh, thank you so much for being here. I
1: can't wait to meet you in person, Darius. That's what it's about. Thank you so much. This is gonna- so great. Uh, hey, uh, she's my
0: lover. Oh, oh, oh. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other.